91. The investment manager seeking opportunities in change. The world is constantly shaped by change and change brings opportunities, but opportunities are not always obvious. 91 was born in times of change and has seen past its distractions to seek real investment opportunities to help clients reach long-term investment goals. 91. Investing for a world of change. Find out more at 91.com. Capital at Risk. 91 is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Hello everyone and welcome to The Day It All Changed, a CityWire podcast in association with 91 Asset Management. For those who have missed previous episodes, this podcast is all about how people have reacted to moments of serious challenge and difficulty and found ways to make a success of things. I'm joined this week by Aidan Park, a stand-up comedian, author and happiness coach. Aidan's uh, featured on TV countless times. He's been in commercials and theatre shows and he's performed stand-up appearances in some of Hollywood's most popular venues. So Aidan, I'm, I'm delighted to have you with us and, and welcome to The Day It All Changed. Hello, hi Ian. <laughs> yeah, great to have you here, great to have you here. Um, wow. Look, Aidan, I, I like your energy already. What people couldn't see is that you, you waved when I said hello initially, which is, which is brilliant. Um, it is, of course, a podcast, but it's all good. <laughs> I, I, re- I realize it's the morning where you're calling in from. Um, so I think I I'm American, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're loud. <laughs> we loud, move a lot. Friendly. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Aiden, I'm I'm really happy to have you you with us today. As I just said, uh, you've got an incredible story to tell, and I want to start at the beginning because I know your life in the United States didn't get off to the most conventional start, to put it mildly. So, so Aiden, can you can you tell us a bit about yourself and, and your upbringing, please? Uh, yeah. So, um, I was born in Korea. And uh, 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 South Korea, <laughs> South Korea, and uh, yes. you know, um, it it uh, started kind of you know uh, in a rough situation. Uh, my dad actually had a whole other family on the other side of the country that he had uh, before he married my mother, and then told her that he was traveling across the seas for uh, business or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was before Facebook, before you could check it out. And uh, <laughs> and so um, I was born, and um, my mom raised me by herself in Korea for nine years. And uh, we were pretty poor there. And uh, my mom was like, oh, well, I got, I got to move him to the United States so he has a better opportunity at you know education. Yeah. So we moved to the U.S. and uh, I was brought undocumented because we weren't approved for even a travel visa because we were we didn't have money, and so we came here, and uh, then my mom took a job on the other side of the country, and uh, I, I uh, ended up living with my grandmother in her government housing in San Francisco, uh, and this was before San Francisco and government housing was pretty, you know, uh, and uh, so I grew up there with my grandmother, and. Uh, yeah, I stayed there till I was like 21 or something. And yeah. uh, it was, uh, I wasn't allowed to be there because it was for seniors, you know, so. Gotcha. Out of interest, how did that upbringing shape your, your ambitions and, and, and what you wanted to achieve? How did that upbringing shape my ambitions and what I wanted to achieve? I, um, I think that growing up, it was quite unstable. I, f- I always felt that, um, I always felt like anything could drop at any moment. Uh, my mom, you know, worked as a single mother and, uh, she did her best, but we were always like, oh, we don't have enough money. 
So at any moment, the shoe could drop. I moved into my grandma's apartment and we're living in government housing. We get like blocks of government cheese and powdered milk. Um, so it kind of drove me to be like, all right, I've got to find financial success. I've got to find success. I've got to figure out how to do this so as to not have the pain of this kind of living. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, so it, 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 drove, it gave me a drive um, to uh, succeed, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I want to get into your story. Obviously, this podcast is called uh, The Day It All Changed. And, and I know you've got a really strong story around that, quite a personal one, well, a very personal one, too. Um, so look, I, just for context for everyone listening, this is a story Aiden talks about a lot, uh, you know, to help other people who might be going through difficult situations too. Um, so I, I promise I'm not digging up anything that's too, you know, too, too <laughs> well, you, yeah, you, you get what I'm saying, Aiden. Um, look, can, you, can, you, can you tell us about your story? He's not being rude. <laughs> exactly. And I'm doing it in the most British way possible to mirror back your American enthusiasm. Yeah. So yes, Aiden, can, can you talk, uh, you know, talk us through your story? Okay, so, all right, so all of that so far, you guys might be like, oh my God, you, you that, that, that sounds like hard. It gets harder. Okay, so this is what happens. So, uh, <laughs> so growing up being gay, also, I'm gay. Surprise, I don't know. If you can't see my spirit fingers through the camera, um, they can't, I have, you, there are you, jazz yeah. hands. I have jazz hands going all over the place. It's like yeah, a I constellation. Yeah, I jazz hands. The jazz hands are well and truly going on. <laughs> Lots of jazz hands. <laughs> no, and uh, actually, sometimes if I don't, say that I'm gay outright, you know, some, everybody starts wondering, oh my God, I hope he knows, you know, but I, I do know. And uh, <laughs> so I grew up that way. And uh, I, at 19, uh, I hit a crisis point. Um, I felt really isolated growing up with my grandmother. Uh, I had no parent actually, really. Uh, she wasn't really available. She was always at the casinos, living her senior life, which she should. And I was always by myself. So I had a crisis point. I, um, I went out, I was being reckless and I ended up uh, contracting HIV at age 19. And um, I realized that uh, because I was undocumented also, I couldn't go to college or get a job. And um, I felt completely at a loss for what to do. I, I did not know what to do. I, I felt I had, no way of getting anything in my life, really. And so at that point, somebody uh, pointed me to um, empowerment. They said, uh, you know, I, why don't you go take some empowerment courses and see if you can help yourself get out of this situation. And, um, and I took them up on it. They offered and I was like, okay, well, I'm not doing anything else. So I went and I learned about um, how to empower myself to uh, give myself an opportunity to create the life that I really want. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. That was, I've never heard anything like that, working with your mindset. And so I threw myself into it. I uh, started really, really studying uh, everything about it, like how to create a vision for your life, how to create what you want, how to really step into it powerfully. And I was able to uh, do really well for uh, many years, uh, in the, you know, 15 years time, from when I was 19 to 33, I, you know, became an international headliner, thank you, thank you, and uh, <laughs> I uh, 
you know, had a show at the Laugh Factory for four years here in Hollywood. I ran a show called Rainbow Pop at the Hollywood Laugh Factory. I was on, I got on TV. I was able to start multiple small businesses and make those successful. And I even found somebody that I really loved, you know. Uh, his name is Michael. And uh, I met him when I was 27. And when I met him, it was like, oh, we're, this is the guy. We're in love. And I studied also using empowerment tools. I studied how to have an effective relationship. So I was able to create around me, all right, this man who um, I have a great relationship with. Um, I have great friends. I have career success. I have money, whatever. And then uh, Michael got cancer. And so, uh, and he passed away, right? Uh, I like to say this awful joke on stage of, I hope it doesn't offend people. <laughs> I say, uh, you know, Michael passed away. It's like I literally got ghosted. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I don't know if I should laugh. <laughs> I know, I, I know. I that's what, that's the reaction. Earlier, what do I do here? Please, I need some <laughs> instructions. You can what laugh because, okay. I, take, I say that joke because I know Michael, right? Yeah. Michael would love that joke. Michael would be like, ah, oh, baby, that's funny. Yeah, he's Jewish. He has that voice. Like, ah, New York, hi, I'm a New York Jewish person, you know? <laughs> so you guys can laugh at it. Michael would laugh at it. I know he would. Um, and uh, losing him was, uh, was the day it all changed, actually. Mm -hmm. Actually, the day I, I realized he had cancer was the day it all changed. Uh, because uh, I realized nothing mattered. Yeah. Uh, I, nothing mattered to me anymore. Michael passed and all I wanted to do, I, I actually wanted to trade places with him. I didn't, I didn't want to be here. Um, I like started negotiating. I was like, Hey, you know, just take me instead, leave him here and I'll go. I want to, I want to, I, I don't want to be left here alone. I don't want to. I don't want to be here. And um, I, uh, it was so, that was so difficult uh, losing a love. Um, I hit a, hit a crisis point where I kind of wanted to, um, I, I, I had a point where I wanted to take my own life. I, I realized at some point, you know, I was riding that fence for months and it was a very painful experience to be in not, not having a direction. So at one point I said, all right, Aiden, make a decision. Are you going to go or are you going to stay? If we're going to go, we're going to go. If we're going to stay, we're going to stay. Let's, what are we doing? What are we doing? I can't do this anymore. I realized I want to stay after having weighed, really having weighed all the, you know, uh, and once I decided I was going to stay, then I made an agreement with myself. I was like, okay, I will stay, but I am not going to stay feeling like this. There's no way that I can last feeling like this from here on. Like there's, it's just impossible. It was, it's just so too, too painful. So then I realized, all right, let's try to make myself happy. And my first line of trying to make myself happy was trying to, uh, improve things that I thought was meaningful to me, like uh, getting more success, getting more money, going out with friends, you know, even dating. Like I was doing anything to try to make myself happy by changing the conditions of the outside. Uh, and, and I learned how to do that effectively through empowerment. And I realized that doesn't work for a broken heart. It just doesn't. 
So I had to figure out another way to be happy. And so I started using all the empowerment tools that I learned for the direct result of happiness, an emotional result rather than um, tangible results that might trigger happiness, right? So people say, oh, like I want to get a new car and that'll make me happy, right? So people get a new car because they want to be happy. Actually, at the end of the day, if you really look at it. Um, so I started bypassing the middle middleman and just going straight for happiness. That's what uh, my book's all about. Yeah. And um, I, I do want to get onto your book, actually, eventually. But how do you change your mindset? Because, you know, talking about changing things internally and rather than looking for, you know, pleasures outside of your, your, yourself, what, what, what are the steps you need to take to actually change your mindset? And, and, and what's the, you know, what's the process? Uh, so, um, you have to have an understanding of what, um, of, uh, you have to have some understanding of what emotions are and what happiness is. Okay. And so, uh, from my re I started researching what, what's happiness and what's not happiness or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, I learned very key distinctions here. I learned one, we want anything we want in this world because there's an emotional promise at the end of that thing. So you mm. might want a million dollars. It might be different for everybody. So Ian might want a million dollars, let's say, because, he... <laughs> <laughs> you know, why, why do you want a million? Like, we have some wealthy listeners. Sorry, what? I said we have some wealthy listeners, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, some, might, some people might want a million dollars because then that would give them access to uh, travel to the uh, other countries. So, mm -hmm. and what would they feel if they travel to other countries? A sense of freedom and adventure. So people might want a million dollars for freedom and adventure. Another person might want a million dollars so they could, you know, invest and feel more secure and, and powerful or whatever. So it depends on who the person is, but anything we want, we have an emotional goal at the end of it. We're working toward the emotional goal, whether we know it or not. And million dollars is just our ticket to getting to that emotional goal, right? Mm -hmm. So that is one principle that I learned. And then the second principle that I learned was pain is a perceived separation from that emotional goal, right? So if you're in pain, you're being prevented from getting to your emotional goal, right? Mm -hmm. So in my case, I had to look at, all right, I want Michael back. And moment to moment, I have to think about what is it that I think I'm going to experience emotionally if Michael were here. Okay. And it, it varied from moment to moment. Like I would go through the day and suddenly I would feel, oh, I would be in the cereal aisle of the, of the grocery store. And I'd be like, oh, Michael, I would stop. I'd be like, why? Why am I feeling so upset right now? Because if Michael were here, he would encourage me to pick the fun cereal. And that would make me feel like I had permission to have more fun. So what, I'm, what I want, what I feel I'm being prevented from in that moment is permission to be more playful. I want to be more playful. And Michael was the way in which I got to more playful. So now I have a choice. I can actually give myself the playful directly 
I can't bring Michael back from the dead. There's no voodoo that can bring people back from the dead. I, I besides I, you know, cremated him. So, you know, can't find all the pieces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that getting cut out too? <laughs> Who knows? We don't know. Um, uh, but, <laughs> but, yeah, this is I'm, what you get when you work with a comedian. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it just, oh, uh, well, Aiden, I, uh, yeah. Sorry. We, we, was there more? Was there more? Cause if there's more, I will, I will leave. Yeah. It so, yes. so that I actually started going for, all right, Michael's not here, but I can get playful. So mm -hmm. I started giving myself playful directly and it's not the same thing as having Michael back, but it's, so I started feeding myself emotionally because every yeah. time you're in pain, you're being, you're, you're crying out for something. You're crying out for an emotional result that you feel like you're being prevented from. And so yeah. it becomes our job to figure out what is that and then go directly for the result. Mm -hmm. and, and Aiden, am I right in saying you teach, you know, you teach people mindfulness and well-being now? Yeah. Yes. And, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and in line with that, what, what do people struggle with when you, when you're teaching them? Because I, I think attitudes towards mindfulness and well-being have, have really shifted in the last decades, but you know, specifically, um, so what is it that people struggle with now? Cause people can still be quite cynical. I assume, how do you get people to open their mind up to thinking the right way? Well, they have to want to feel better, right? Like if they don't want to feel better, you know, <laughs> it's just not going to work. You have to like actually want to be happier. Um, I think people have an idea of what they think will bring them happiness. So people might be like, okay, well, if I had a million dollars, then I would be happy. Um, okay. If they're really stuck on that, the pain has to, the pain has to hit a point where a million dollars, the pain has to hit a point where I'll do anything to be happy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because until that point, a lot of people just hang on to a million dollars. And then when I coach those people, then it's like, okay, then my job is to help you try to get a million dollars the best you can. So it's about the, it's about what the person's end goal is, right? If they're actually, if they're sold 100% that the million dollars is the goal and they want me to help them make a million dollars, then they, then I will go and help them make a million dollars. But then they will realize after they get there, why do I still feel like this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so then yeah, it's about where people are, and I have to assess where they are and meet them there. And there's nothing wrong with going for a million dollars. We just have to know what what the payoff is at the other end of it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are emotionally starved until they hit that goal. If that makes any sense, like that, that does make they sense. Think yeah. That, yeah, yeah, getting a relationship will bring closeness to other people, so they will work on getting a relationship and starve themselves of closeness with other people until they get there. Mm -hmm. And uh, go back to your own story. When we spoke last, you said something really interesting to me. You mentioned your own circumstances, you know, being gay, uh, facing adversity from childhood had in some sense allowed you to feel freer, you know, more free to, to live a more honest and, and carefree life yourself. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. I thought that was a really interesting comment. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, if, if I'm gay and I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, out there as you can hear, but <laughs> We'd never I just laugh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a quite different 
And mm -hmm. uh, being that I am this kind of quite different person with a, an interesting sense of humor and being that I'm gay, um, I don't, I'm not one that usually um, people can place in, like, uh, there's a lot of um, expectations from society. So if you're a, a straight man, right, then you'll, the expectation is you'll grow up, you'll get a job, and then you'll marry, and then you'll have kids. When you are like me, nobody expects that from you. So it gives me an opportunity to really kind of build my life the way that I want to with uh, my, uh, from my own value system. Do I want kids? Do I want to get married? Do, you know, do I want to make a million dollars? Do I want to be a corporate person or do I want to go and make my own money doing businesses? What do I want to create? It really gives me an opportunity to uh, not be encumbered by social expectations, which I feel is a challenge for a lot of um, people. Yeah. You know, I could talk about personal things all day because I, I find that interesting. But, you know, this podcast is about change management for, you know, a lot of the people listening are entrepreneurs, business owners, senior figures in companies. Um, that perspective I find really interesting. What you're talking about, is that, is that not essentially the kind of point of diversity and inclusion programs, the idea of having a fresh perspective on things, being able to look at things differently. And, and, you know, do you think that's been an advantage to you that you feel a bit free from expectation in your life as a, as a comedian and as a professional? Yes. Um, I've had to really... I've, I've gotten an opportunity to really uh, give myself my own reason for doing what I want to do. And uh, I think we talked about this briefly uh, last week. I, I think that... Um, in this society, there's things laid out like, this is what you're supposed to do and this is what you're not supposed to do. I actually worked with an organization uh, uh, called New Economics for Women, where um, I coached uh, people who were not making, uh, you know, women in, who are in financial straits, uh, how to be more empowered with money, right? Mm -hmm. And they were not finding a lot of uh, success you know, teaching these women because they were saying, well, here's how you pay off credit card debt. Here's how you, um, you know, get a house. Here's how you save up money. But for these women, it, it doesn't feel real because it wasn't tethered to anything that was important to them as an individual. So it's when you are free from so the social expectation is you're supposed to have no credit card debt you're supposed to have a house you're supposed to have money in your bank account and a lot of people follow that but they don't know why mm -hmm. so the reason behind it has to be super strong so for these women why do you want to get a house also maybe at the end of the day they want again any everything you want comes as an emotional payoff at the other end of it I want to provide a good life for my daughter. I want her to be feel safe and secure and protected. Great. Safe security protection. You make that real for them, then they will do anything to do what it takes to provide the safe security protection because that is what is important to that individual. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, to, to get onto your, your book now, because I imagine your, your book covers similar stuff to what we've just been talking about there. Um, the book is called The Art of Being Yay, which sounds ridiculous in a British accent, I have to be honest. Um, it probably sounds more more sensible coming from you. Um, oh, oh, oh. 
what is the you know, the general message of the book? I mean, I, I think we can guess with the title being the art of being yay. But what you know, what 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 are you uh, you know what are you trying to get across with that? Uh, and what was it like to talk openly about your story and your experiences as well? Um, the art of being yay is about hey, make happiness a priority. You know, uh, make your emotions important. Um, at the end of the day, I think we are all after an emotional experience. So let's figure out what that is and give that to ourselves as much as possible day to day and make that important. Listen to your emotions, find happiness. And that is the, the key to happiness is realizing what your emotional needs are and meeting those. Um, and uh, that's, that's my message of the art of being yay. I really would like people to pay attention to how to make themselves happier because when you are happier you get better results in life really yeah and and let's speak of one of your own you know big achievements because the the foreword to that book was was written by margaret cho the comedian actress musician and designer who's been in in lots of things you know when you you mentioned her name when we last spoke i i then looked up her you know her her, her kind of resume and she's been in face off sex in the city 30 rock family guy like all sorts mm -hmm. of things i know she was a a bit of a hero of yours. Um, so could you give us a full story of how, how it came to be that she wrote the foreword of your, of your book? Sure. You know, when I first moved to the US in 1994, I would watch television and uh, she was on, um, on TV. And I was like, oh my God, there's Asian people on TV. This is amazing. So uh, I, I felt um, like, oh, this woman. And throughout my high school, I just kept seeing her over and over. And I was like, oh, what wonderful. And once I started doing stand-up comedy and I started producing at the Laugh Factory, she showed up one day and said, hey, can I be on your show? And I was like, oh my God, Margaret Cho wants to be on my show. Of course I want you to be on my show. And so I started working with her and I opened for her. And uh, after I opened for her, we developed a relationship. I told her I was working on this book and I asked her, would you write a foreword for me in my book? It would be very meaningful. And she generously said, sure. And so it's very special to me to have a Margaret stamp of approval on my book. <laughs> Brilliant. And, uh, you know, we've talked about comedy a bit, but not really gone into it. I mean, and, and again, through this conversation, it's come up, we, we've discussed some really, really deep subject matter. And you, you've managed to make jokes about pretty much everything, which I, which I admire. <laughs> Um, I really do. Um, look, you, you've chosen comedy as the kind of anchor of your career, you, you could say. And I, I want to know what, what role does humor and comedy play in, in your own sense of well-being, your, your own sense of finding yourself? Uh, how does, what, the, what role does comedy play in my own sense of finding myself? Hmm. I think that um, <clears throat> humor is a way for me to feel less shame about it, it, doing stand-up comedy helps me feel less shame around uh, whatever is going on inside of me. <laughs> so when I started comedy back in 2012, I was ashamed to admit that I was gay on stage, actually. It was hard for me. And then I started doing it. And uh, it's a vehicle through which people can accept you know, somebody who is different than them, right? So they can laugh and kind of be able to take on, you know, my perspective. And uh, so I think the, the deliberate activity of like saying something that I might feel ashamed about, just putting it out there is very healing. Mm -hmm. 
and doing it with humor in a way that other people can accept it so that it doesn't feel so hostile. <laughs> yeah, is it, is it a bit like group therapy? A little bit, yeah. Because you do that and then it actually gives the permission for everybody else to feel like they are normal. Because we all walk around, I think. I think that's another thing that people face. We all walk around with a lot of shame. You know, like, oh, I, I feel bad because I'm, I'm jealous of that person. Or, oh, I feel bad because I shouldn't be thinking this or I shouldn't be thinking that. And so we walk around with a, like, almost a mask. Everybody does. A mask to the public world. But what's going on on the inside is quite different. And whether we want to admit it or not to the public, it is going on on the inside. All those ugly things we don't want the other people to see. And so if I am the first one, I go on stage and I say, I feel this too, then people feel less alone in their experience. 91, the investment manager seeking opportunities in change. The world is constantly shaped by change and change brings opportunities, but opportunities are not always obvious. 91 was born in times of change and has seen past its distractions to seek real investment opportunities to help clients reach long-term investment goals. 91. Investing for a world of change. Find out more at 91.com. Capital at Risk. 91 is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.